so this episode of uh, Talking in the Chasm is filmed before a live audience. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Um, <laughs> and um, my wife, Sarah, um, suggested that uh, we maybe have a little discourse, a little discussion about yeah, what we're doing. A disclaimer, I don't know. Um, but we kind of wanted to be clear that we are not uh, experts at uh, the topics that we discuss. Um, this, and this is not about teaching folks and trying to change people's minds, um, even each other's. It's really more about understanding each other and sort of, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in, in Matthew and how he lives and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. He's a super smart guy and I just, I want to know like how his mind works. At, 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 you know. So this is more about, it is possible for people with absolutely polar opposite worldviews to love each other and have a conversation. I think, so, first of all, I'm, I've already been surprised at how much response there's been to the first two videos. Yeah. So, that's cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it, it, it has caused conversations between you and I um, about, like, well, people actually... Some people will actually watch this, maybe. Yeah, people care. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how, what are we thinking about what we're doing? And I, I think the way I, as as we talk, the way I summed it up in the text is that our expertise that we're trying to convey is communication, not that we understand the science of life or biochemistry right. yeah. or no neuroscience. Yeah. yeah, we don't know anything. <laughs> I'm a sheetrocker, <laughs> and you're a musician. So don't don't take anything at face value. We say. Yeah. But but if there's something, I think what we have to contribute is, is and it's the way I've been publicizing what we're trying to do, trying to return civility to discourse, right. to be kind to people. And I'll just speak to the, to the Christian side of the audience. There's something different about caring for people because you care for them and engaging with people because you want to make them different and that's that's sensed by the people that we talk to and I, you know I genuinely believe the things I believe and I want everybody in the world to believe what I believe but that's not why I engage with people that's not why I have friends that's not why that's not the substance right. of why I'm I love yeah people. and I, I would say I, I don't necessarily want people to believe what I believe but I want people to understand me, yeah you yeah know? I want sure. people to understand why I believe what I believe I guess well I'm a proselytizer yeah yeah, yeah right that's a, that's a religion right? <laughs> so let's get into that <laughs> step in uh, and when do you just let God handle it mm -hmm. so um, you've had some challenges with your children some of your kids yeah um, so do you want to maybe do, we, do you want to talk about that well, let's start with your I, I, I'd like to know how you how you talk to God about Cephas yeah and maybe mention his Cephas is our tenth child and he has a um, 
a very, very rare genetic disorder. It's de novo, it doesn't come from America, right? It's just a random mutation, a one in a trillion, I don't know what the odds are. But he has uh, a gene with a mutation that causes certain, certain effects in his body. He's one of, there's two studies that have come out on this disorder. It was discovered at the time he was two years old. So it was completely wow. unknown. And the studies, Erica knows as much about it as probably any, anybody that's not a researcher that's worked on those projects. And as far as we can tell, there's probably less than 50 people in the world that they know have this particular uh, mutation. So there's not a rush to find a cure? No, it's a very small number of people that are affected. And we don't know what all the effects are. What that resulted in is that for his first year, remember he's number 10, so there's a whole bustling household with right, school yeah. and, and a business and everything else going on. His first year, Erica had more than 300 discrete appointments, medical appointments, in the first year of his life. That's crazy. He was casted, he was under anesthesia, under general anesthesia several times, and we had other things going on as well, you know, uh, Erica was diagnosed with epilepsy during that time. Um, she had just come off of a very, very bad pregnancy, a horrible, uh, a horrible mistreatment with a dental procedure. Like, things were off the rails for about two years. And slowly, slowly they've gotten better. We worked with, we were at, at Boston Children's Hospital and we're so grateful to be around some of the best doctors for his condition in the world, probably. Yeah, sure. So plenty to be grateful for, but a very, very difficult couple of years. And I, um, so as that pertains to mental health, I, I, um, I've never been a depressive kind of person. That it's not how it's not how I cope with the world. It's not something that I've been that I've suffered with. It's not an affliction that I've had. I, I can think of a handful of times when I could feel like I, I could say I feel like I was depressed. And they were very causal related. Things were going right. on yeah, yeah. in my life and it was sensible to feel depressed about it. But I have, but, um, but that amount of stress will have all kinds of outcomes in, in, in different ways. I think that one of the ways that that I that for me I think it's a little bit different for Erica but for me there's some there's some bedrock kind of things in my life that help keep me stable through those things I, I wonder often those things are all functions of my Christianity and my community and I don't know how it works if you don't have those kinds of things you know for those 300 appointments we lived in co co-housing community with people that I loved, like my own family, and we could just open the back door and go to meetings and know that someone was there to help with our children. You know, the older right, children yeah. were there to watch, but but the hornings were downstairs and they were listening and we could call them and say, hey, can you check on things and make sure yeah. everything's all right? And that, just that, like, I, I don't know what you'd do without that. Right. But then somebody to pray with us and somebody to cry with us and somebody to care with us and a whole community of people that we felt like it wasn't only our problem and I think those are some of the there's more kind of esoteric things about about my own faith that I think I use to to work through those difficulties 
Um, but it's those are the the practical things that that have helped us. I let me just tag on to that. I've had a very complicated relationship with medicine and science over the last since I've been married and having children, and part of that's due to mistrust. Part of it's due to misinformation. Part of it's due to youth and craziness. Like I thought, you know, there was a time in my life when I thought. Hey, we just believe God, and we don't have to deal with doctors anymore. Seriously, I had, I had, I had four of our children, three of our children were born at home without midwives. Because here's what happened: I had a child, we had a child in the hospital, and then we had another child in the hospital, and then we had a midwife. And the midwife's gig was like, childbirth is a natural process; it's not a sickness; it doesn't belong in a hospital. And I was like, well, if that's the case, then what do we need you for? So we did the next three without a midwife, just Eric and I. Just talk yourself right out of the job. <laughs> <laughs> Confusing medical. Yeah. Um, There's an interplay between faith and medicine for for me. I'm not going to speak for people broadly because there's all kinds of different ways right. that different Christian people deal with that. For me, there's been a real complex interplay between faith and medicine. Because I, I, I do believe in a real God, and I do believe that He's actively involved in my life and other people's lives, and I really want... I really have built a life out of taking confidence in that. The same kind of confidence I have to trust my community when we have right. a medical crisis. Well, can I ask you something about... Sure. <clears throat> so, Cephas was, um, was, had some serious issues. I don't know, we, we haven't really discussed what it was. He had bone disorders. And he, he has, had, so um, there's several complications. One of them is that he has... At the time when that gene expresses, there's a few things that are happening in a developing fetus. One is that the arm bones are separating. You know, this starts as one bone and it separates into two, and that's the radius and ulnar, and the radius rotates around mm -hmm. the ulnar. So those two bones that cause us to be able to do that turn into one. It's called, his, his disorder is called MECOM-associated disorder. It's the MECOM gene. So he doesn't have two, so he just has one? He, well, it's two at the bottom, and then it comes into one. It's more like okay. a wishbone. So he has none of this rotation. And his orientation was out, which is the worst. I mean, it's, it could have been more out, but it's past neutral out on both sides, and it's bilateral. So he can't ever, like... If he wants to touch his face, it was like this. Yeah, if he wants to hold a dinner plate, it's like this. Spoon or he also has a, uh, some some anomalies in connective tissue genes that are that are inherited from his mother, and we don't know exactly what all those do. But the other thing about Cephas is that at the same time that this arm bone is fusing, you're also developing bone marrow and what becomes the system that creates blood. So one of the first studies where this this disorder was discovered was from Japan. It was all Japanese children and all of them were born with leukemia and needed bone marrow transplants at birth. He had low 
blood platelets, but not at a dangerous level. And so it's something that we go to Dana-Farber once a year to check in on his platelet levels and we kind of have to, because we don't know. We don't know, right. it will it express itself later and he'll have bone marrow problems or did he, did he dodge the bullet and it'll never be a problem for him, we don't know. So I guess, so what I want to ask is, um, I don't know really how to put this in, in, in better words, but are people broken? Like, you know, uh -huh. God made this little creature, yeah. and then, you know, you and science and everything decided to step in and make his arms do this, and then, yeah. you know, change these different things, and have all these different operations. Um, you know, at what point do you pray and 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 sort of that's enough, uh -huh. or what, or, or you know, when do you actually step in and do physical? Yeah. And we can talk a little bit about my mother after I after I hear you answer that because my mother's a Christian scientist and she has uh -huh. very very uh, specific well defined yeah. ideas about that. I I think that's a complex question. It, there's all, all of the interdependent variables are at play. I think the root of your question is: Are people broken? And yes, they are. In in theological terms, it's what we call theodicy, or or more commonly, the problem of evil. Why are things broken? There are broken things in the world, you know, the environment's falling apart, our bodies are falling apart, we all die, like these are all broken things. So what that comes from and how it makes sense in relation to the God that's being advocated by the Bible is that there's a whole, there's a whole discussion to be had about how to rationalize a broken world with a good God. It's a very valid question, by the way. It's one of the oldest critiques of Christianity since, since there was Christianity. So do you see Cephas when he was first born and, and just thought, well, um, there's brokenness in the world and it's just manifested here and we're going to do what we can to fix it? I don't, know if I, I don't know if I consciously worked through it in that way. I think when he was born we were like, oh, there's a beautiful baby, I love him. Yeah. Um, but when we interact with the hardness around his life and the difficulties that we've had, I... I mean, it's tough because you say, oh, what about a Christian scientist that has a uh, child with, um, you know, a disorder that, that they'll die without medication? I mean, the, the, you know, that's like a theoretical. And then here it is, bam, you are actually faced yeah. right now with this child is going to require surgery after surgery after surgery. I never hesitated to give him medical care. That was never a question in my mind. And I don't know if when I was much more young and crazy, if I would have had more of an obstacle that I feel like, I feel like God helped. We, when, when we talked in, in the last episode about, about spirituality, I was talking about prayer and that one of my main default prayers is, is that God would help me be better at, at being what he wants me to be. And that process has been a trajectory for my whole life. And I can see places where my life has taken turn after turn after turn in a consistent direction to teach me how to encounter the things that I'm dealing with now. I mean, to me, that's, that's amazing to hear you say that because I, I feel like prayer for most people who call themselves Christians is God do this for me. You know, God, I have a problem, fix it. Whereas you seem to be, God, help me to deal with the problems that I have. 
Well, I think there's you know some I mean? reasons not... why that is. My conceptualization, I, I think I, uh, I'm going to uh, risk offending some people, but I think my conceptualizations around Christianity are much more ancient. They're not predicated on the American version of Christianity. Right. I'm not saying that I'm not affected by American culture. I, I certainly am. But my theology and the way that I think about God and who he is and what he's doing in the world is much smaller than the right. evangelical version. Like, I, I put myself in So the word prayer just means place. something different to you than it does for it means people who communicating go to church on with Sunday God. every... You, you know, know it's, not, right. it's not proper to understand prayer as Tim Tebow asking for a touchdown. Right. Like, he's not a genie. And I think I have a different conceptualization of God. I'm glad that I... If I if I had if if I could meet with the most powerful man in the world in the morning, what am I going to tell him? What what am I going to am I going to ask him for five bucks? Am I going to ask him to buy breakfast? Like what what would that experience look like? If you have an audience with the the most powerful person or the most rich person or right, the most yeah. whatever, how would you use that time effectively? Like, to understand who he is and how he got there and how you could be more like that would be the right way to think of that opportunity. And when I get on my knees, when I um, am alone with my God, even when I pray with the church, that's us interacting with who we believe created reality and access to all knowledge and all power. So what do I want to tap into? Do I want a touchdown? Do I want money? Do I want happiness? Do I want trivial things? Do I even want health? Or do I want to understand myself? Do I want to understand the world? Do I want to understand what yeah, really matters? Certainly you would want Cephas to be healthy. Absolutely. You, know, you want Cephas to not feel pain and to go through this world. Absolutely. You know. But I, but I understand also that pain has a value. And this is a hard thing. I don't... It's hard to say that about somebody else's pain. But because it's our pain... I feel like I can say there are all kinds of things that have shaped us through his pain. Like, we're different parents. We have a different relationship and a different interaction with the world, with special needs communities. Sure. We've, we, it's shaped us to be better people. And I, it doesn't always work that way, it, but there's a way to respond to tragedy and to problems that can make us better. If if we figure out how to take it the right way. Right. So I have a couple of stories. Um, one Love is about um, are people broken? Mm. So um, my sister um, had Down syndrome. She was developmentally disabled. I took care of her for the last five years of her life. And then she died, tragically. And um, I then began to work for the people that, that um, provided housing for her. And so now I work with developmentally disabled adults. That's what I do for a living now. I did it for um, many years, too. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's very difficult for me to look at some of these folks and imagine them as broken. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I wrote a, a paper about happiness, talking about my sister. And I was like, my sister needs a TV guide, you know, a little house on the prairie, a uh, bag of Doritos and a Coke, and that's it. And I mean, she's so happy. Bliss. You know, yeah. And me, I need, you know, I need a girlfriend, I need a car, I need, you know, lots of friends and stuff to do, and I need movies, and I mean, it's like, I need so much more. It's like, who's who's winning this? Mm -hmm. You know, who's more advanced? Who's mm -hmm. happier? 
Um, so, uh, you know, especially with Down syndrome, I, I, if, if you could tell me, uh, I have a, a medication that would eradicate Down syndrome, I am not sure that I would give it to a child that, of mine that had Down syndrome. You know, I mean, it's Down syndrome, especially. It's like tends to create these creatures who are just happy and loving and open and kind and generous. You know, um, and that they need care, more care than maybe you or I for the rest of their lives. This is a small price to pay. I mean, yeah. you know, when you compare that to a, a room full of Enron executives, yeah, you know, I. I'll take the Downs kids. You know, seriously. Yeah. So what's what's broken here? I mean, to me, the Enron executives are broken. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting to to, to, to think of it that way. And then the other story I have is my my uh, mother and my brother are both Christian scientists. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if, if you know about Christian science, but basically... Only the sketches. Yeah, this, this woman, Mary Baker... I'm, I'm going to just insult everybody because I don't know either, but this uh, woman, Mary Baker Eddy, um, got sick. Uh, she was very religious, and she um, read the Bible and managed to sort of to heal herself. And she thought that she had read the Bible in a way that maybe people hadn't done before that she, she had used it in a way yeah uh -huh. and the way that she studied so she wrote a book that you're supposed to read with the bible um called um keys to the scriptures um science and health with keys to this to the scriptures and it's basically just you know bible study you know it's like oh here's yeah. you know we're gonna talk about this and then you read this, this part of the bible means, and we're gonna talk and about this so what that means yeah. yeah and every week you know so and it's a lot of a lot of study and reading and self-reflection um, but one of the, the sort of concept is that the material world doesn't exist, okay? So there's, there is just the spiritual world, and this is sort of a, I don't know, an echo, and I don't know. Um, it is that, it's like a kind of a mirage or something. Yeah, or like a broken mirror that we're looking mm -hmm. into. It's like we're not really, you know, there, there is no sickness. It was something, you know, Jesus died, and when he arose, then that, you know, the, that, he, he's perfect, mm -hmm. and there's no sickness in the world. And... Um, so it's an illusion. So if you tell me I, I, you have a headache, well, that you don't. That's no. There's no such thing. You're a perfect being. So you know that it's some sort of weird illusion. And what you can do is you can talk to a, a Christian scientist, and they can sort of help you understand why it is that you think you feel this way. But through prayer and study, you can it, work it you out. You can heal yourself. You'll go away. But so, they still die. Right, and then and the idea is, you know, they still break their arms. You know, and, and so wear glasses. And... Right. I mean, if you break your arm, what are you going to not set it? You know, um, yeah. and uh, <laughs> interesting enough, my um, my brother has a daughter who has diabetes. So that there's the question right there. There's the the, the thought experiment, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what if you have a, a child with diabetes? What are you gonna do? Let her die? You're gonna let her? You know? So of course she takes insulin mm -hmm. and lives. Mm -hmm. And if he broke his arm, my brother would go to a hospital and get it set. And, and here's where I don't fully understand. Maybe we'll have him on the show and he can explain it, because I, I don't really understand. But, but it was something about you can take the material world and do it that way, go to a doctor, uh -huh. get it set, or you can do it the spiritual way, but you can't do both. You know, And, and you can do it on a case-by-case -case basis. Uh -huh. So you can say, okay, well, I broke my arm. I'm going to just set that rather than study and pray, and it's going to heal itself. So 
I'm not really sure exactly how that works, but um, it was interesting to me that my mother saw her daughter as, you know, uh, not being disabled in this world. Um, because of her Christian science. Because of her Christian science. So she was Rather perfect, than, it just, this was a manifestation in this... Right, but then she also hounded her all the time about being overweight and, and about not being polite to people, and she was always yelling at her. I mean, so it's, you know, rather than just looking at her and saying she's perfect as she is, uh -huh. you know, the fact that she weighs 250 <laughs> pounds and she's four feet tall doesn't make any difference yeah. to anything. Mm -hmm. If she's happy, that's what we want. We want her to live as long as she can and be happy and whatever. Um, so it's, it's it's just interesting that my mother wasn't able to just see the reality and just say that's okay. Um, I was watching somebody and they were talking about um, it's a philosophical framework for clusters of virtue, and what they, what what he was trying to explain was that you might have seen it. Um, uh, take a word like health. Well, health means something, and we all mean something when we say health. But what exactly is health? Is it having a beating heart? Is it not right, hurting? Right, is it whatever? Um, well, you can have a beating heart and hurt. Are you still healthy? Like so, there's not a thing that is health. And I think I think what we're talking about about whether it's quality of life or you know if if we compare uh, the CEO to to the Downs people that we've known and loved, like that's an easy equivalency. But 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 they may be well in certain ways and broken in certain ways, right, right. and they're not mutually exclusive. They don't they, they don't mean the same thing. Right, but with with Down's people, so mental people, health would be a a good correlation for that, right? Like there could be ways in which we're healthy and ways in which we're, like maybe your body's hurt works right. nothing wrong with it. You could run a, run a marathon, but but your mind is is sick or not well or are you talking about me no no <laughs> i run marathons <laughs> and i take medication for depression we could actually we'll talk about that it's okay but the thing about about downs is is the thing that's wrong right with the brain is what makes them yeah the interesting wonderful beautiful people that they are so Angel it's just like syndrome, i just don't think that's wrong yeah. and when we were pregnant with our kids they said oh you know we can do this uh, test to, to test in the womb whether they're down syndrome yeah. and i'm like so you could abort because they're going to be these happy wonderful delightful creatures that just make everybody smile i mean i, I, I don't even understand like i just don't see that as broken it's like you know the deaf community yeah there's people who are deaf who say well this is this is the way that i am it's yeah. not broken or better or worse it's, it's, it's you know the same way yeah so um, you can in look at it as a disability, or you can look at it as, you know, every, you know, this is who I am. Yeah, in Finland, from what I understand, they have effectively zero Down syndrome because they're all aborted. They're, they're yeah. eradicating Downs. Yeah, but they're not eradicating the Enron executives. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Pity that. We'd be better off. So, um, anyway, let's, let's talk about mental health. I want to just tell you about myself. I, sure. I don't... I'm sure we've we've talked about this yeah. before, but I uh, do suffer from depression, and um, I uh, am bipolar. I've taken medication since I was 22 years old. I'm 50 now, um, and I tried to kill myself when I was 21, 
and it was very serious, like it wasn't like, oh my gosh, my girlfriend left me. It was actually a philosophical, like, you know, I did not want to be part of this world where people treat each other the way that they do, and every just thing just felt like violence, and and I decided I was going to kill myself. I had a date planned out, and my, my uh, dad was going to be out of town, he wouldn't have to find the body, my, my stepbrother who barely knows me, you know, I was like, just had it all planned out on a calendar, it was all like set. Um, it didn't work, and then they... they found out that uh, that I was depressed and they gave me medication, which also didn't work for like 20 years. I just thought, well, this is just who I am. I'm just a depressed person. And then they finally did, very recently, find medication that, that, that works. So I have sort of relief from this sort of feeling of just constant, um, you know, like I just have to fight to be happy. You know, some people are just happy. Some people just have to work really, really hard mm -hmm. at it. Um, it's a lot easier for me now, but but I also run marathons, and I'm perfectly healthy, you know, physically. Yeah. You know, would not look to me and say, um, he's sick. Mm -hmm. um, but it also has defined a lot of who I am, and it's made me think a lot about the world, and it's part of, you know, and if you go, oh, well, would you trade, what would you trade in order to be happy? It's like, would I have to trade, like, my ability to make music? Or would, you know, it's like, it's really hard. It's like part of who I am. It's hard to say I'm broken, mm -hmm. because if I was a happy person, I would not be me. I would be something different. Yeah. And maybe something better. Mm -hmm. I don't, but I don't know that, you know? So it's just very, it's difficult when we talk about broken people and what's, you know, what's, what's broken and what's not broken. Yeah. And from a, from a, a, a Christian worldview, um, it's something I've been trying to understand is how to engage with mental health issues. Uh, so here's, here's some, Here's some theses I have, uh, some speculations, let's put it that way. I think that there, there, are, there are real physicalities attached to mental health issues. I also believe in, in not quite at the level of the, of the Christian scientists, but I do believe that there are sometimes supernatural causes for, for what we consider mental distress. Um, a very small version of that would be like the feelings that we all associate with guilt. Like when you're guilty about something, you don't feel well, and you can you can project that. You can do all kinds of manifestations with something that's actually in you, and it, it has all these ramifications. So there's a whole realm of mental health that's that's behaviorally connected. And there's probably a combination of all those things. But then also, when, when we talk about medication, and I'm way out of my league here, but it seems like the world is on fire with antidepressants. Like, yeah. it's literally in the fish now. Like, we are flushing. Right. We are, right. so much antidepressants are going through our systems and out our bowels and urine that we're toxifying fish. Yeah with the with the dope that we're taking right i mean there there certainly is a lot of good that has come out of medicine and there certainly is a lot of bad that has come out of medicine like I, the I oxycontin mean, problem yeah and I, I i feel like when um adhd yeah. was diagnosed at first and, and it, all it, our it little brothers were on it all <laughs> of a sudden everybody has adhd mm -hmm. um i uh i was a big brother in the big brothers program and i had a little brother who had ADHD and I mean his eyeballs yeah. would not stop like mm -hmm. um, 
fluttering. Like he could, he could not be still for two seconds. I mean, it was it was this pathological, you know, something is very wrong. Yeah. Um, whereas I, I I feel a little bit like rambunctious children get sent to the doctor because the teachers are having a hard time controlling them, and the doctor's like, why not? It's like a you chemical know, whatever. You know, it just It's mm -hmm. not going to hurt anything. We'll just try it. See, mm -hmm. see what happens. Which is sort of when I was uh, diagnosed with depression, they, they actually um, uh, prescribed Prozac because you can't overdose on Prozac, and I was a suicide risk. So they're like, oh, just try it. See, we'll see what happens. They were just pro Prozac for everything because, I mean, it, you know, why, why not? So see, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I think is irresponsible and, yeah. and, and dangerous, and I think you got to really, uh, you know, ADHD. There's a difference between that and. Uh, so when we one of the kids. things that we've done with that as a as a community, as a Christian community, it's an intensive process to join our community. Like, it's not like the Baptist church on the corner. You don't just show up and a part of our church because we're communities and because we're interconnected in family style structures. So there's a process by which people come work from the outer edges of association with the church to the mm -hmm. inner core of the church. And part of that process is that we do something called a spiritual assessment where we sit down and talk about really comprehensive things in your life. How does your marriage work? How does your child training work? How does your yeah. how do you view the scriptures, what's going on in your life. And one of the questions we ask people in that assessment is, do you struggle with depression? And we always tell people it's not because, like, if you answer yes, you don't get into the church. Yeah. It's because because we love our people. And if that's a concern, if that's something that people struggle with in their life, we want to help. We want to be there. We want to be a part of the support structure that finds either coping mechanisms or, or right. paths to treatment or whatever the case may be so that we can be a support and help people. And I wonder how much, how much is missing in the holistic treatment of mental health issues. How much lack of community, lack of, of For sure. cognitive behavior therapies and counseling and like this whole panana, this whole panoply of, of options that all of them are trying to deal with a piece of it. Right. And medicine is one little part of that, but a healthy, engaged community and setting relationships in order and exercise and eating right and all these things are also just as important. It's not just show up at a doctor's office and get a script and then you'll be okay. Right. Um, at the same time, I don't want to be dismissive of the real physicality that's involved in people's struggles. That right, I mean, I you know, dismissive. You know, it's not really for me. They just, you know, they say, "Oh, your your brain's not producing this chemical, and uh, we're gonna offset that with with this chemical, and we're gonna see what happens." And you know, it took a lot of years of tweaking and figuring it out. But uh, but there's a huge difference in the way that I see the world now and the way that I did when I was 20. I mean, enormous. Um, my grandfather killed himself, um, and he also had bipolar disorder, and apparently it's, it's hereditary. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, because I understand that, it's easy for me to, to then to understand when people say, oh, you know, I have this, this disorder. Um, and because of my experience with, you know, I've known people who have been prescribed ADHD who in my opinion, we're not clinically, yeah. <laughs> and I've known people that, you know, like I said, my, my little brother who absolutely 
acquired it. So I think, um, we talked about this a little bit last time, that we're sort of in the dark ages with how the brain yeah. works, we just don't really know. Yeah. And a lot of that is experimenting, and I mean, it's just, you, you know, I mean, for me, I, I'm on five different medications right now, five separate medications for my dis depression and anxiety. And it just took forever to, to finally tweak this thing to where it was at this place, and now it is. And um, do you th that's crazy. Do you think, this is a completely subjective question, do you think that depression and, and, and mental health issues are more common, uh, will play our part as the old men, are more common today than they were in the past? Are we in a, a mental health crisis as a, as a culture? Are we no, doing I, things to cause it, I or don't is it think that just it's, diagnostics? I, I don't think that it's more prevalent. I think that it's just being diagnosed now, whereas before it wasn't. Before you just you, you were, were just crazy. You were drunk, or you, you hit put, your you know, wife, or you, yeah, or, you know, disappeared you, for a few you days You went to war, and you came back, and you overdosed on heroin, and that's what happened. I mean, you know, they, they, they don't talk about what happened to your brain during that, the time of war. Um, so I, I would say that... Um, that that we we are now better at diagnosing, um, maybe maybe too good, <laughs> yeah. But we certainly are diagnosing uh, issues that we didn't even know. I mean, PTSD is a perfect example of that we we didn't know what that was. We just called it in World War One the, the, the thousand yard stare, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. My jury's still out. I I I'm. I don't know what. On whether or not we have more mental health issues contemporarily than in, than in the past. I, um, I mean, maybe our definition of mental health issues has also become more um, permissive. Expansive, you know? yeah. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's know. maybe that's the the, the meaning. Because in the I mean, a paranoid schizophrenic is very it's a very different animal from an ADHD sure. or you know even somebody with the, I mean you know so I don't know what you know I've in my profession I've met people who have schizophrenia and yeah. they see horrible things happening to to, to things yeah. right in front of their faces in the room while you're Your talking to them I mean you know it's just it's a living nightmare yeah. um, so mental uh, disorders cert exist it's a real thing um, we just have to figure out, you know, we just, like I said, we're still bumbling around trying to figure out how the brain works. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting when we talk about, like, Christian science and stuff, the brain, you know, can heal you. You know, I mean, you can pray to God and feel like he's answering you and therefore your positive outset makes you make micro decisions that help in your, in your well-being. You know, yeah. and you know you can people you can raise boils on your hand by thinking about. It. I mean, you know, and um, uh, what's it called with the the acupressure? No, um, the people that that bleed from the hands and the stigmata. You know, stigmata, you know, stuff like that. It's like you, you, your brain is is pretty amazing, and you can do some pretty uh, amazing things with the mind. Um, they they say that placebo yeah. works. Absolutely. Even if you're told it's a placebo, and the, right? so and the placebo effect is growing, right, and it's getting better. I don't want to say that prayer is placebo uh -huh. because this is your your, your world. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't want to minimize it, but to say that I prayed and I got better 
is 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 different to me than saying I prayed and you got better. Yeah. You know, and that's where Christian science, like Christian science to me, it's like, that's, you do whatever you want mm -hmm. for your own. So you get sick and you don't want to take medication. That's on you. You have a child and he gets sick and he, you don't give him medication. That's where I have a problem. Yeah. You know? Um, and interesting enough, my, uh, my mom got cancer, stomach cancer. What'd she do? Went to a doctor. Mm. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the doctor fixed her uh -huh. using 20th century medicine. I I um I think that prayer as placebo could be taken wrong. I think it could also be taken right. I think that God it's a horrible our, thing to say. He, I I, 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 I no, I'm not saying prayer is is placebo. I'm just saying that the brain. What I'm saying know. is that it may actually be placebo. I, I think that there's an effect of prayer that is exactly that. That God designed our minds to be power over our body, at least within right. certain parameters, and setting your mind in order. So like, okay, so I was just talking to somebody about, it's funny how much prayer is coming up here, but I was just talking to somebody, a young man who's struggling in his life, he's trying to get order, he's trying to figure out what he's doing with himself, he's been struggling with addiction, all these things, and I've been talking to him, and he... Um, he, so he started praying, he started reading the Bible, we started having conversations, he started trying to fix some relationships and fix some discipline issues in his life and all this stuff and it's starting to go a little bit better for him. So I was, uh, I'd been thinking about him and praying about him and uh, I pray about you by the time, okay. by the way, uh, quite often. But uh, I, was talking to, I was talking to him and I said... And I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I know you do, yeah. I know you do. Uh, I had just been listening to... Who, who, who was I listening to? Um, thinking Fast and Hard. Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow. Thinking Fast and Slow. That's the name of the book. I can't remember the author. But he's talking in there about the power of priming, psychological priming. So you know this, you, have you seen these experiments? They, they, they bring you in and they tell you it's, they tell you some ruse. It's about memorization or whatever and they have grad students read a list of words and they say, okay, now we want you to go over to this other building and you're going to do something over there. Well, the real test is walking from building to building. So they bring grad students in, you read a bunch of words about old people. It's arthritis and Florida and retirement and, yeah, and yeah, whatever. They walk slower. They walk slower yeah. than people yeah. that don't. And it's, it's, it's not a huge impact, but it's a definite impact. Mm. And you can do it with words about money. You can do it with all kinds of things. So the whole advertising industry is based on these priming principles. Well, I was telling this young guy, like, look, if you start your day thinking about virtue and righteousness and goodness and love and mercy and kindness and how to be a, the best person you can in connection with your creator, that yeah. has to have a priming right. effect I mean, on in, what you do for in the that rest way, of the day. You, you, I, I would agree, absolutely, prayer works. It, absolutely. Because that's that's what you know. If that, I mean, it 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 wouldn't work for me because uh -huh. I don't believe that there's yeah. a God that's listening. Yeah. You know, um, and I appreciate that you pray for me because it just makes me realize that you love me and that yeah. you care in in the way that you do. Yeah. So that yeah. makes me happy, and um, when I'm happy, I'm a better person. So it, it works. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um, 
is a little bit like the beauty thing. It's like, yeah, you can dig down and see a scientific reason for all, all of this stuff. It's like, you know, I just look at the world as just from that, from the science of it. Um, so, uh, but let's just quickly about um, suicide and stuff. Mm. Um, it's a sin. Mm. Yeah. And what, tell me what you think about that. Well, I think that it's, it's very much in line with the ideas that I would have expressed in regards to abortion, that life is a divine value, that it has one source, that life comes from God, and it's not right to take it. Now, um, it, it bothers me a great deal when people profess that value and aren't at all consistent about it not even trying to like we would be against abortion but we would be for bombing Yemeni children <laughs> yeah. at a wedding so we could kill a terrorist like that kind of inconsistency is infuriating to me and I am it bothers me more than people that just don't accept the premise at all so what what I would say is that 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 creates a, a, a holistic view about everything that has to do with life so suicide would be included in that. Now, it's a really, it's a really sad construct. Uh, it's 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 a horrible thing to take another person's life. To take your own life is a horrible thing too. Not in the same way. I, I don't I don't. They're not morally equivalent right. in in the damage that it does to the. I don't know how to say it. They're not the same thing, I'll say that. I think it's wrong, like unequivocally wrong, because it's wrong for the same reason that it's wrong for me to kill you. Because you're extinguishing the light. Because you're taking God, something right? that's yeah. not yours to take. And that's a, that's a problem, and I think it's a problem for society, it's a problem for individuals, it's a problem right. for families, it's a problem for children. So I, I, it's difficult to talk about this because... Um, it's hard to say a pro suicide. It's hard to say it's okay to kill yourself because you know there's there's ways out, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if if somebody was in constant physical torturous pain and they wanted to die to end that pain, I would have no problem with that. I'd be like, sure, I'll help you, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, so I assisted dying. I, I'm absolutely one hundred percent for. And the fact that you can't see depression. Yeah. you know, doesn't make it less painful, doesn't, sure. you know, if you're living your days, every single day you wake up, I mean, this is what it was when I was 20, I woke up every single morning, I'm like, oh, I'm still alive, like, I just, I just didn't, I could not wait till the day was over and I could go back to sleep where I would just be unconscious, I just, ugh, just existing was torturous every day, mm -hmm. um, and so I, there was this, this really great comic that I read, and this guy like has his hand is all smashed and it's all bloody and gross, and he's in and he's in agonizing pain, and his friends are like, oh, what, you know, is it the, the your hand, your hand again? Jeez, I mean, just you know, get over it, you know. Oh, you you need to just. just I can catch a frisbee fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I got a paper cut the other day. It hurt a lot, but I mean, you don't see me whining about mm -hmm. it all the time, and it's just getting grosser and grosser, and it's more and more painful. And that's a little bit what it's like for me because it's not like oh, I can just not think about it. It is in agonizing pain. It's like it 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 takes so much of my mind. I, it's hard for me to listen to people. It's hard for me to, to pay attention to anything when there's this screaming pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, and if you look at depression like that, I, you know, I've oftentimes when I have heard of people killing themselves who really were depressed and really seemed to have tried everything, you know, uh, part of me is just like, well, they're at peace. It's what they wanted, and they got what they wanted, and that makes I should be happy about that. Um, but you know, I have a weird, distorted view of that coming from my own history. We well, have a personalized view of it. I, 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 I'm glad you failed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. Uh, I'm not glad for your pain. But one, I'm glad you failed. One month after I tried to kill myself, I met my wife, Sarah, and she is just like, where I'm just jumping around, she's this sort of calming, you know, she makes me still. Mm -hmm. And that has, you know, helped a lot. I was still depressed and the medication was working, I still had a tough time, but she was always there to make it okay. Um, when I first met her, I was like, you don't get involved, don't, don't become attached to me because I'm not going to be around here very long, you know. I'm just, no, no way am I going to continue to live like this. And uh, she made it, made it great. I mean, you were talking about sort of the holistic, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's all interconnected, and certainly I'm alive because of Sarah. Um, no you, question. So, so, when, so now when you assess the situation of suicide, it seems like you still retain sympathy for 20-year-old Felix. I do, and what's interesting is people go, oh, I bet you're glad it didn't work. No. You know, I, I wanted to be dead, I would have been dead, and then, you know, I fade to black and none of this would have existed. I, I don't, but that would have been fine too, yeah. you know. The fact that I've, I'm happy and have a great life and have wonderful children and just everything is great right now for me is, is awesome. But it doesn't make what I wanted invalid. It's hard. I mean, I know that's weird. Yeah, to, it's hard to for me to assimilate yeah. to that. I mean, I think I can understand what you're saying. And the reasons why you'd say that, but knowing you and knowing your family, the value of you being alive has been immense. And and it, I think if I try to put my, if I try to empathize, if I try to put myself in your shoes, as fifty-year-old Felix, I'd be saying to twenty-year-old Felix, "Hey, man, it's gonna be okay. Right? Don't do it. Right? We I didn't have anybody this. to tell me that, and I didn't know. That Would that it that be was valuable funny. for for so if you met 20-year-old Felix, but his name's Bill, and he says, man, I'm in misery, I'm just going to kill myself, I'm so tired of it, and he explains the situation, why he's in there, and everything he's tried to do to make it better, is the final, like he says, what should I do, Felix, is the final counsel, yeah, I understand, man, it's, you got to do what you got to do, or is it, it, it does get better, there are things that can make life meaningful right. again. Yeah, this is this is the problem with th this is a major chasm between our worldviews, I think, because um, I feel like uh, you know it, it might get better, mm -hmm. it might not get better. Right. I don't know this person, yeah. and I don't know, you know. I I wish that I could say, oh yeah. It In other words, for me, it's not about staying alive. Yeah. It's not about oh no 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 don't do it it'll just gonna get better just just keep on plugging away keep on feeling that pain keep on waking up every day and wishing that you were dead just just keep on you know it's gonna you know you'll you know I I can't say that if 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 I knew that that was the situation if I knew that the pain was that great I'm not gonna tell somebody who is dying of of an extremely painful bone cancer that they can't 
um, you know, take barbiturates and, 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 and end it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's difficult to assess, but it's just, it's, yeah. I, I'm so happy and I'm such a positive person and I love life so much. Yeah. It's just hard to, to wrap your Reconcile head around the too. fact that, yeah. that people go, oh, are you glad it didn't happen? And my answer is not really. You know, I, yeah. I know that's weird. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a, I am a happier than I've ever been in my entire life. Like, just, I'm so happy. So what about And things? we'll actually to have a show about happiness because it's think, the fact yeah. that I, I had these connections and, and the things that make me happy are things that I didn't even know I wanted. Like, I, you know, I just, I wish I'd been taught that. Well, when we talk about school, I mean, there's just, there's a list of things that could have been actually taught to me, yeah. told to me, to yeah. make me a happier person. So what about, let's just play the idea out here, what, what about things like the suicide prevention hotline? Like is that a good thing or a bad thing? Would it's, people be it's better It's a off? wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing because, you know, as I said, there was nobody to tell me that, that things are going to get better. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, my, certainly my friends said that. My friends didn't want me to die, you know, yeah. and uh, I put them through hell, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think a lot of, a, a lot of people, um, feel like they have no way out and feel like there's no connection and don't understand and, and, and need a sort of a guiding hand to help them out of this darkness. And, and the suicide hotline can be that for a lot of people. I'm sure that it saves lots and lots of people. Um, and I'm all for saving people. Yeah. Um. But you would just draw a line, you'd say, let's save people that want to be saved. Right, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I'm just saying, would I be a good person to man a suicide hotline? Maybe. Maybe I'd be the very best. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. You know? I mean, I, 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 I empathize with people. I'm very, um, you know, I, I, my, my, my superpower is to sort of feel the emotional temperature of the room. Mm -hmm. You know? When you're sad, I'm sad. Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard for me to, to disengage from, you know, I, I can't talk when people are angry at me. I, I can't, I, I, you know, I get this crazy sort of uh, feeling. Um, so we lost a little bit of light, but that's okay. Should we keep going or we're going to fix it? Uh, we'll keep going because we have to... Right Actually, let, let's, let's pause it for a second. Irene keeps going. <laughs> yeah, I was no. like, uh, don't say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is this is our. You got to yeah. You got to let us do. I mean, thing. very specifically, like, don't say something that could cause a suicide. Is a pretty good rule of thumb, I'd say. I We're mean, exploring ideas. Am I, I have just, I said something that would commit cause people to commit suicide? I, there was one thing I forget exactly what you <laughs> said, but like flickering. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, that's it's a good thing Erica's not doing that. Right. Something, yeah, the cat has noticed. I just, I just think it might be, a, that particular thing might be a little irresponsible. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I... To put on the internet, I mean. Well, no, but I think we're talking it through, right? I mean, and here's the other thing. Like, I have a friend in the Netherlands right now. They have state-endorsed euthanasia. She mm -hmm. has depression. And she filed to for a permit to commit suicide. Like their the state in the Netherlands is saying, "Yeah, it's bad for you. Go ahead." Like that's not a controversial thing in the Netherlands. 
it's not a controversial thing for the laws for euthanasia that they're advocating here in America. They, the state is saying, yeah, if it's bad enough, go ahead. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, it just it's, set it's, off alarm bells in my brain right. is all. I think that um, what my, my daughter is just mentioned to me about, oh my gosh, you're being irresponsible and people are going to commit suicide after well. watching this. <laughs> I, 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 I do, I think that, that what she said is very true, that when you are depressed, you don't see you what? don't know what the scale is, right? Yeah. It feels like a 10 all the time, right? So you're just like, oh, this is awful, it's never going to get better, I'm going to just kill myself. I, I don't really think... I just don't, like, hearing that in that state is not going to be right. the what best. people need to hear. And if you were at that point and you are now not, that's kind of proof that it really can get better it absolutely can get better it did get better uh-huh for me um you know i'm just this is my truth you know what i mean i'm just saying what i think and how how it actually you know how it worked for me yeah um also that wasn't a joke that i showed you on my phone when you were talking that text that was a genuine point what was it i said when you were talking about when you asked, when you asked if it was a, if there was like a mental, we are. Recording. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no it's there fine. Are, no, go. Yes, there was a mental health epidemic, and I showed him a thing, a text that said, "Kids these days have more have a lot of reasons to be depressed." Yeah, I don't agree with that. But um, the world. Yeah, <laughs> but in World War Two, the. You would be already in Europe fighting people. I mean, you know, there's every generation has a. I think summer. the '60s are the craziest generation. We should talk about the '60s sometime. That was nuts. Um, the so president we, got shot. All right, so we get, we sort of fell apart. But I, how do we get back? And what we're we talking we about? Because I, I I don't want this to sound like an endorsement for suicide. It, it, it's very complicated and it's difficult to to sort of say my my position. But I, I would say that it wasn't just, I'm depressed, right? I had these, I, I, I just remember, like, I, I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that, like, in order for me to live, things have to die, right? I have to, to even, like, lettuce, right? I have to, to rip this thing out of the ground, I have to put it in my mouth, I have to grind it with this violence and force it down into my hand, and it turns out, and, and it goes through my heart, and it pumps the blood, and it's pounding, and it's pounding, and just everything was violent. I'm lying in bed, my heart is pounding, and it's just like, I just, this violence is just killing me. The fact that I, things have to die for me to live, I wasn't okay with that. Like, I don't like that concept, you know? And I'm not talking about animals. I'm talking about you know yeah, yeah. life. In order for life to continue, life has to end. Well, and that's a I great... just was not okay with it. That's, that's a great one of the to... one of the many reasons why I, you know, wanted to not be here anymore. I was actually thinking about this about you just the other day because I was I was I was thinking about something that Jesus says. The alternative to that view that everything is is visceral and violent and ugly. And I'm not saying you hold that view now, but, but if I was to meet you then, what I would want to try to convince you of is that it doesn't, that, that's a, it's a marred prism. There's another way to see the exact same things 
as reciprocity, as as a cycle of life and death, and well, that's that how we're I see all it in now. the middle of it. No, that's how I see it now. I, I'm fascinated with like predator prey videos, seeing uh -huh. a, a cheetah take down a zebra. I, I think that's beautiful. It, it is beautiful. It's this amazing thing. I mean, life is is amazing to me, and that cycle, the even the violence is 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 amazing. Jesus teaches this principle about about it, 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 it's it's literally the words hate your life lose your life these are expressions that Jesus uses for his disciples he says unless you lose your life you can't find it and here's his example he says a kernel of wheat and in the Bible I use wheat I mean, it's like corn it says a kernel of corn but it's talking about a wheat like you have a head of wheat and it's got 50 little right. seeds on it he said a kernel of wheat unless it falls into the ground and dies, abideth alone. Its whole purpose for that seed to grow up, for that flower to come, for all that life, is to fall into the ground and multiply. Right. And that cycle, that, that reality that the earth is built on, is, it doesn't have to be viewed for the, from the prism of violence and death. It can be renewal and resurgence and like right. when I think about my food, especially if we're talking about carrots, like the fact that you take one out and you put another one in and ten more come out, like that's amazing. It's like that's the most beautiful life story that there is. It's just a matter of which lens you're looking at it through. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I was hoping to maybe maybe we'll do a show about sort of the interconnectedness of all things. But there's this fantastic book that I read called The Seven Mysteries of Life. Um, by Guy Murchie, and one of the things that he talks about is this this predator prey thing that that perhaps pre predator or the prey are put on this earth to be prey, uh -huh. and that that's okay, that they fulfill this this function that's, their job to that's do. fine, uh -huh. right? And he talks about when the lion takes the zebra. There's a point at which the zebra just kind of gives up, even though he's not dead, because often you know they'll, yeah. they'll give up and lion and then it gets them and runs away, right? But this sort of of, of acceptance of your role, yeah. right? And this fascinating story, he says that there was a, uh, a hunter, a uh, hunting tiger for something in India, and uh, uh, got separated from, from his party and, and was wading through the, uh, the river and came upon a tiger and went to shoot the tiger, but his ammunition had gotten wet and it didn't work. And the tiger attacked him and drug him by the shoulder to her cave where she had um, little cubs, Close, yeah. and the, the little tiger cubs, she was teaching them how to, you know, how to handle prey, so she would let him crawl away, and then, then the, the cubs would grab him and pull him back. And he said that uh, it took three hours of that, and then his, his friends found him and shot the tigers, right? But he said when the tiger attacked him, and he looked into the eyes of the tiger, he just was like, he had never seen anything more beautiful in his entire life. He was in rapture when this tiger took him. And the, the whole ordeal, he said, was, was, was uh, about as pleasant as a half hour in the dentist chair. He's like, it, it, you know. And so there's this, this concept of like, okay, now I'm prey. And that's okay. It's like not not everything is a struggle. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be. You, you know, a lot of people look at the the lion attacking the zebra, just like, oh, that's awful. It's horrible. The poor zebra. You know. Yeah. Um, 
Well, let's let's wrap up. I, I think I think that um, we want to we want to make sure and communicate that we we want to be hopeful for people. We want to be we want people to find support networks that that whether it's m mental health problems or or yeah whatever the crisis is in people's lives, find people that can help. For Leave sure. Some links in the description. There's a way the out. For sure. Um, and you know, when I say people dying of bone cancer that are in, in incredible pain, what percentage of the population would that be? Yeah. And you know, so people with depression that are actually in that much pain, it's a pretty small group. It, it feels like, I think when you're depressed, it always feels like you're at a hundred. You know, mm -hmm. oh, it's never going to get better. But that's that that's broken thinking. You know, because it does get better. You've seen it happen. You know, yeah. so to say that it never will is is, is broken thinking, and that's uh, that's different than you know, intense agonizing pain. Yeah. So I'm not uh, advocating suicide. So. <laughs> Just let's be clear. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. All right. Love you.